0: Hello, and welcome to the Media Leader Podcast. I'm Jack Benjamin, joined today by my colleagues, editor Omar Oakes and reporter Ella Sagar for a new podcast format with just the three of us. Yes, you heard that right, you're stuck with us now. No other guests. Instead, we thought we spend our whole day reporting and analyzing media industry news. So why not talk about it amongst ourselves on the podcast and share it with you as well? The goal for this format is for the three of us journos to run through big, recent stories in the news and expand beyond them to talk about the bigger picture. Why do they matter? What is the broader context? What do you need to know to cut through the noise and find that signal? Omar, Ella, welcome, welcome. Hello. Hi.
1: Hi, thanks for having us.
0: (laughs) Thanks for joining me. First pit of news that was big over the weekend. Twitter sort of doesn't exist anymore. It's undergoing a rebrand to become X. X. I have a few other letters that come to mind in response. They are W, T, and F. (laughs) Elon Musk, who is not CEO but appears to be acting like one still, had recently confirmed that Twitter has lost more than half of its ad revenue and that the company is currently cash flow negative. Lots of questions come to mind here. Why do we think this rebrand is happening? Why isn't Musk allowing his CEO, Linda Yaccarino, to really take the lead here? Is Threads Meta's Twitter Twitter, um, excuse me, ex-competitor poised to con- uh, continue to take advantage? Omar, y- what are your thoughts on everything that's going on?
2: You know, clearly we've seen ever since Elon Musk has taken ownership of this company, he has no idea what he's doing. And I think actually in a weird way, he might act, this might be the first time where he makes a decision that makes sense because the Twitter brand has become so devalued i mean you know as we've written on the media leader it wasn't it 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 already struggled to reach profitability even before he came along but he's just run this company into the ground and actually folding it into something else and making it part of this grand vision to have an everything app it sounds ambitious but actually well why not because clearly, you know, he doesn't know how to manage it as a social media organization. So you might as well leverage it into something else.
0: So it's a bit like meta, you know, instead of Facebook or Alphabet instead of Google. You see it perhaps as part of this grander scheme for what he wants to turn into Twitter into part of his ex company, I suppose. Is that sort of what you're saying that it might be a good thing in that sense? Well, perhaps,
2: but it all feels pie in the sky right now. And you you mentioned Lindy Acherino, who is um, nominally the CEO, but it seems like all the big company strategic decisions still come from Elon Musk, even though he's proven, as I've just said, that he doesn't really know how to run a social media company. Um, So maybe lead it to someone who has actual experience. But, you know, she kind of put out a series of tweets Mm. last night and again this morning, which looked to me like she was in the twitter threads version of a hostage video where you know it was just like this word salad of how x is going to be this and ultimately it's the future of communication and Mm -hmm. it could be this and that and the other without giving any real real details over what this company is going to be other than um quite a horrible logo with just x on black and white background i thought
0: yeah
1: not not my favourite rebrand as it goes, but I mean it just sounds like some sort of adult entertainment site to be honest. It's from my to my mind. Well, that but, would be more interesting. <laughs> yeah. If he actually said
2: I'm going to turn this into a porno site, then that would actually be more interesting. Yeah. And frankly, probably a more sound business model yeah. than what he's been doing up until now.
1: I mean, they're not. It's not the only like uh, company to be doing sort of things with rebranding and stuff. There was a funny Twitter thread uh, from Channel Four saying, "Oh well, good luck." x or twitter or whatever you are because people still call us 4od and then itvx commented saying we're fuming underneath it you know so i i found that quite entertaining i mean it's coming out with a lot of just meme content and but i think that's kind of what twitter is now is memes and just not really much else Mm. sort of solid but Mm. that's my opinion
0: yeah well i've barely been on myself i've been on threads a bit more but it's still lacking a lot of the functionalities that i'd like to see so it's you know, it feels kind of nice to not have to spend so much time on social media. That's what I would say. And and maybe I'll continue getting away from that. Um, Barbenheimer had a big opening weekend. Omar, you covered it for us. Ella, I know you saw Barbie over the weekend. I have not seen these films myself. Um, first of all, Ella, did you like it?
1: Oh, I loved it. I would go and see it again, 100%. And, and I think I haven't seen a cinema that packed out in a really long time. Um, and... I tried to go see it on Friday. Every single showing was completely booked up and then trying to go and see it on Saturday with some friends and we couldn't find any seats together. Um, and so then it was like, oh, do we all go and then just like sit all separately in the cinema? <laughs> we managed to find um, some seats together, but uh, it was it was great. And I'm going to go see Oppenheimer later uh, this week. So it's not quite like the, you know, the double bill sort of back to back, but uh, I'm, you know, I think I can kind of treat myself as part of the barbenheimer like crew uh
0: omar how big of a deal is this for cinema and for marketing i mean ella you just mentioned the sort of back to backness. that was it seemed i think it started from social media a little Mm. bit you know go see oppenheimer first and then barbie as a dessert a little bit as Mm -hmm. a palate cleanser from sort of the depressing nature of oppenheimer a more optimistic part of some people went
1: to see it in the same day like literally back to back and that's about i mean Oppenheim is three hours and yeah. and Barbie's what about an hour and a half so that's quite a lot of you know cinema time uh but I think also you know there was other movies like Indiana Jones Mission Impossible there's other things happening and uh in cinema that it's kind of seems to be like really all of these big franchises like all, a new big Pixar movie Elemental all of those Stop sorts doing of things. Well. I think it's, it's doing better than, I think I can't remember what the other one was. I think um, that, I mean, maybe that's indicative. Like I can't remember what it, what the last one was, but I think that was told to do with the only releasing it on streaming and and not having a exclusive theatrical window.
0: Mm. But Omar, in terms of the cinema industry, how big of a deal is this in your opinion?
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a
2: massive deal. So opening weekend in North America, Barbie took 155 million dollars. Um, overcame Super Mario Brothers movie. And it was the biggest opening of the year, bigger than any Marvel movie released this year. Um, Oppenheimer took 80.5 million. Um, Christopher Nolan's biggest debut for something that wasn't a Batman movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so Warner Brothers and um, Comcast have done really well out of this. Um, it's on track to be the fourth biggest box office weekend opening of all time in north america um but i think it's indicative of something which kind of was whipped up into an internet frenzy this whole barbenheimer thing where as you say ella um people went to see it as a double feature even though they're wildly different sorts of movies it was almost like you know part kind Of wanting to kind of see Barbie and be part of that cultural moment,
1: mm. everyone wearing pink, like, yeah, yeah. I up saw, for I, it. you know, I was mm. in
2: Leicester Square walking around on Friday, and there's loads of people dressing up for it. And Someone even had a t shirt which was half Barbie, half Oppenheimer. Oh my god, where you know that's um really on it. But was, <laughs> an, was
0: anyone dressed in like mid century attire with like a big hat or something? Like fedora,
2: no, no, funnily enough, that didn't um bring out the ah. <laughs> the, the gear, but um, yeah, I mean, clearly. This was a cultural moment, and cinema at its best can still deliver those cultural movements to get bums on seats. But that's quite a high bar to give yourself if that's what's going to, you know, save cinema as a medium in the future. That you know the long term problems remain, where everyone has a nice TV for the most part at home and are willing to wait out theatrical releases and wait until they're on the streaming platforms. Um, and at the same time, you know, Netflix, Amazon disney apple tv plus they're all willing to invest in tv as a format as opposed to movies on streaming platforms as well so there's still these forces which um cinema has to overcome
0: Mm. yeah i saw um, i don't remember who it was it might have been on twitter or linkedin basically someone saying cinema's dead well obviously not because these two movies have performed extremely well but as you mentioned, it is it is a very specific cultural moment that it's tapping into in order to to do that. I mean, the marketing around these films is kind of impre- like very impressive. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if you can do that for every film necessarily. Is that no. that's basically what you're saying?
2: Yeah. And it's like it's the thing with media where you can see the future unfolding, but it happens quite slowly. Like The whole thing about, you know, advertising is dead. And yet every year TV spending keeps going up and up and up for the most part, for the most part, maybe not this year. But it's because trends take time and culture, for the most part, you know, things change slowly. Um, And yeah, the long-term trajectory might not be good for cinema, but that doesn't mean that cinema's going to die. And I've been saying this for a long time where, okay, this was a cultural moment what more can movie theatres do to actually create a more interesting interactive experience where you're not just going there to see something on a big screen, and get the sound and everything what more can cinemas offer? I mentioned Leicester Square, you know, they have the Odeon Lux, the big armchairs, mm. and you order the nice they food nice. and stuff like yeah. that. Well that's fine if you're willing to spend I don't know what they cost actually, like £40, £50 whatever tickets are for this really kind of Luxe experiences, mm. but is there something that can replace the multiplex? I think the multiplex actually faces a very uncertain future because there's a very kind of for the most part uncomfortable boxes where you're just watching cinemas i think cinema has to become lean into being more boutique more bespoke Mm. Mm. at
1: at the dcm Upfronts, it wasn't this year it was last year i think the ceo of you said that you know upgrading all of the seats in their in their cinemas was their top priority and making them like so that it they recline and they do all of those sorts of things so that kind of feels like maybe something that you can't get at home or like it's a bit more, I mean, if you go to, I mean, every man is like, obviously like a very sort of like quite a high end cinema chain and it still it's like squishy sofas and things like that, but they can, you can and bring you food and drinks and stuff when you're in the cinema. And it's like, but that's kind of like what you get at home, but it just feels a bit more, I don't know how they you make it. You have people bringing you food at home? Oh, well, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, got asked nicely.
0: <laughs> uh, it's worth noting that all of this is happening amid Hollywood being completely shut down. Mm. Um, SAG AFRA began its strike uh, a little over a week ago now. Um, the Writers Guild's been on strike for a while. Omar, who do you think the winners and losers are going to be of this strike action?
2: The big proximate winner of this has got to be Netflix. Mm. Because you know their model is completely different for how they hire writers to um, write for the TV and films that they create. Where they essentially just say, you know, a bunch of people, submit your ideas... And then those writers submit their ideas, and potentially they don't hear from Netflix again. And sometimes some ideas get taken, and some don't. Um, there is no kind of long-term relationship in the way that the studios traditionally have with these writers. Um, who, interestingly, for for <laughs> for you know this this famously capitalist country, has a very heavily unionized entertainment center which is very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um but you know but so Netflix um potentially um Amazon Prime Video as well, um Apple TV Plus obviously. Um content being run by Jay Hunt previously of Channel 4 over there. Um and as well, um the UK, and um, a couple of weeks ago BBC Studios put out really good numbers. Um it's a potential opportunity for the UK to produce even more content to export to America and they you know they, they love Downton Abbey we know that famously but yeah loads of good content that's picked up on BBC America sold through different studio relationships mm. um, so potentially good for the UK
0: yeah I, well I would love to see more flea bag types um, I mean that was a huge thing when I was uh, gosh I was in college still really betraying my young age there because <laughs> yeah. I wasn't that old.
1: When I lived in Canada, Peaky Blinders was the big the big thing and Bridgerton. Mm. Um, and yeah, so when Peaky Blinders was coming out and people would walk past my desk at my old job, be like, hey up, governor. And I'm just like, oh my God, I'm the only English girl in this office. I'm going to get this every day now. <laughs> so, but you know, that's, it has that cachet, the kind of British content. Mm. And yeah.
0: And a lot of these streaming services especially have been pushing into more foreign film investment as well. I mean, uh, um, Squid Game was like the biggest thing in the world and that's not produced, you know, in America. Um, so there could be more of those, perhaps.
2: Yeah, I think it's quite sad because um, this latest writer's strike, you know, it's not going to be like the the last big one, which was 2006, I want to say. I could mm-hmm. be wrong on the exact year. Um, but it's a very different world we operate in, not least because of the streaming platforms. But as you say, you know, the international element is relevant nowadays because, There is a lot that the more that we live on streaming platforms, it's been well documented how you get used to the ad free experience, but also becoming more used to the international experience as well, where on my Netflix algorithm, when I'm scrolling through, I'm always being kind of served stuff in foreign language and it looks quite intriguing and I kind of try a bit of it. But, you know, if Netflix knows what it's doing, it's going to get really good at using technology to adapt really popular formats that might come out of Spain, out of the Philippines, and adapt it for a U.K., a U.S. audience. Um, and technology is only going to help it do that increasingly going forward more efficiently.
0: Mm. It's earnings season. Uh, three holding companies reported last week: is Omnicom, Publicis, IPG, some mixed results. Um, Reach, Snap and Spotify are reporting earnings tomorrow. Meta's reporting its own earnings on Wednesday. Comcast, Roku, ITV reporting on Thursday as well as JC Deco. So lots going on in the media industry this week and last. Um, what is the state of the broader ad market as we're going into earnings?
2: Uh, it ain't great. It's, <laughs> it's a big takeaway. I mean, yeah, it's 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 been a difficult year because, um, as everyone knows, macroeconomic conditions have been difficult. The war in Ukraine is persisting. Inflation has come down quite a lot in the US, but definitely not in the UK. Am I allowed to mention the B word? No, I won't. Uh, <laughs> but it's relevant. Um, and tech has been soft and you know um, as we've written about um, a lot over the last couple of weeks on the Media Leader um, the TV ad market um, we've got ITV results coming out on Thursday we've also got Comcast and Roku on the same day um, we're expecting quite difficult numbers for this quarter in TV um, I was at Cannes last month and lots of doom and gloom around the market people talk around talk, people talking about the U-shaped market you know good start to the year probably a good into the year with christmas but the middle really difficult mm. um and you know marketers are holding back spend as, as as much as they can so you see a lot of late money coming into the market we covered ipa bellwether last week talking about this huge ongoing rise in sales promotions which is a feature of a very uncertain marketing environment mm. um and so it's it's there's a lot of dooming gloomy numbers, I think.
0: Yeah. Ella, you covered uh, the bellwether mm-hmm. and you covered as well this sort of late T V market, especially on the World Cup, Women's yeah. World Cup. What were the big takeaways?
1: I think it was interesting that the uh bellwether, the sales promotion was one aspect of it and but there were a few different factors to that. And and I think marketers not knowing how to um best to like launch a campaign or something like that to sell something to consumers who are going through a cost of living crisis who have less disposable income than ever and trying to make sure that the messaging is sensitive to that. So it might not be, it's kind of obviously a financial thing of like we need to sell more of this stuff um, and we need we need to like up our performance um, but we also, we don't want to turn off, be insensitive to what consumers are going through or just like turn them off completely if we're, we're pushing too hard and then with the women's world cup i think it's interesting that people kind of came on uh, or announced their campaigns they might have been like long-term plans like a few of them were like partnerships but that date back to 2019 but it kind of seemed like they were announced quite close to the time Mm -hmm. like three weeks two weeks out and so i i personally kind of wasn't sure is that to do with the it being the women's game and it not it kind of only recently being sort of broadcast on itv and 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 the BBC, and it's going to be um, kind of broadcast on radio as well, um, which hasn't been consistently in the past. So there's a few different factors, but I think um, it seems like there's just advertisers and not sure where to put their budgets, but also how to speak to consumers who don't have, don't feel as able to spend as they used to.
0: Mm. NME is relaunching its print magazine. When others zag, do you zag? <laughs> Ella, I know you love all things music and audio, of course. Mm. Um, and you used to be, in your own words, obsessed with NME. Is that correct? <laughs>
1: yeah. As a teenager, definitely. Um, was uh, NME went to, I, um, you know, love music festivals, love gigs, all of that. Um, so I find this quite intriguing. And I think earlier we were sort of talking about it as a kind of, is this a, like a nostalgia play or is this to reach new audiences. Is it kind of like sometimes I think advertisers are kind of mystified by like, what do we do about Gen Z and alpha? And, you know, they're, they're kind of, they have Spotify accounts, but they also listen to vinyl Mm. and they, they do this thing, this behavior, but they also do this. And so I don't know, is it trying to reach people who are, who used to get the print magazine or is it trying to reach people that have never had the print magazine? Um, And, yeah, I'd be interested to know how that goes, especially when other print magazines are kind of being shuttered down in favor of online, which um, makes sense, um, given that's where we spend the majority of our time now.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's a good point, though, about sort of young people wanting something a little bit more tactile. I mean, like I shoot film as opposed to digital photography and I... Part of me is like, oh, you know, it'd be really great to get like an iPod again, even though that makes no sense. But like or vinyl and this sort of sense of like wanting something that isn't streaming that you can go to. And the same thing with digital. Yeah. I, I read all my news on my phone or a laptop. And so I can understand the appeal yeah. of kind of
1: wanting to have something physical. I keep, I do but. see people around a lot. um, probably your age or younger who are like the di- disposable cameras, which I used yeah. to use on holiday when I was a kid. And then you upgraded to the digital camera and it was like a big deal. And then, and then you're like, Oh, my phone is a camera. And, and then now it seems to be going back to like, everyone's got like a Polaroid. It's not always a fancy Polaroid. It could just be like a, a you know, a sort of disposable camera you get from, from the pharmacy and stuff. And I just find it, I find it fascinating. This sort of like, I mean, people are like, oh, it's vintage. And I'm like, I think you mean secondhand. Like that's yeah. kind of that's what it is.
0: <laughs> if, if if magazine companies were smart, they they would maybe try marketing themselves as is, is that like a return to a, a nostalgia factor. Like, get your magazine. but Omar, you're looking at me with absolute <laughs> disgust in your eyes. <laughs> you're like, what are you talking about?
2: It, I'm just perplexed over why anyone. I mean, you know, I understand. I mean, it's similar to what we were talking about in the cinema conversation where there's always a nostalgia factor there's always there's always a rose tinted glasses view of the world that oh you know it's so much better when you know i had a discman and i played cds even though i could only get 13 songs on there and you know um i'm just i'm just amazed at how this persists over people you know i think there is something in in the the tactile desire i think that is quite attractive on one level as you say jack um, but no, I, I think it's quite a niche interest. I mean, you know, the general trajectory is, you know, everything going online and going towards platforms because it's just more efficient distribution. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I I was interested in what Enemy was saying about how they want to create this sense of scarcity and almost kind of emulate, you know, when Nike kind of drops, you know, a new pair of trainers. You know, it's like, Okay, so they're gonna what do like six episodes per year, and they're gonna tag it around Glastonbury and other kind of big moments in the music calendar. I don't know, that's quite interesting, but it's mm. not again, it's not really a long term publishing proposition. It's it's a good brand build, but it's not really something that I think a lot of other publishers are be looking to emulate. But again, I like similar to again to the similar conversation. I think the media owners that are really gonna. Progress in the next few years are ones that actually think creatively about the medium itself. Because, as I just said, about kind of everything going towards platforms, which is just more efficient, I think to your kind of what you've both been talking about is how it creates quite a maybe, if I'm being harsh, a soulless corporate environment where all your content is just bucketed in this one place. Mm. Actually, there's a huge, I think, opportunity to, to create content within bespoke environments. But you can't always do it and churn it out on a production line. But actually, your premium, high value content, I think, I think there's something interesting in that. So watch this space. Kind of, <laughs> We've not talked about outdoors, so I'll throw that in there. Watch this space.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, last question: Media recommendations of the week. What are you guys watching, listening to, reading? Any other form of media consumption that you can do? I'm not sure. Uh, smelling? Can you smell media? Um, what uh, should other people be be looking at as well? Omar, start with you. Oh,
2: um, I don't get as much time to consume media as I would like. But you know what I am doing? Um, have, you, have you heard of Netflix? I've done this thing called Netflix. <laughs> uh, but no, this is serious. Um, so Netflix um, have been um, in gaming for a while. So on mobile, they've got, you know, you can go in the Netflix app and you can actually download games on the kind of via the app store. And but what's interesting is that there are kind of some conventional games, but the ones I've been drawn to and started playing are these ones where they're, they're kind of games, but they're not. And I'm playing this one right now called um, Immortality. And it's actually been out since last year and it's won some awards, I see. Um, but it's it's sort of like this David Lynch-esque interactive movie watching experience where the premise is an actress who did a movie and then someone else some guy died on set and then she became a recluse and disappeared and you as the game player have you're given a clip from a movie she did and you have to build up a library of like creating all these different movie clips in order to untangle the mystery and I won't spoil kind of how it develops, but some kind of really weird supernatural things start happening when you start playing around with the movie footage as well. It's, it's fascinating. It's a really, really interesting use of the medium. So not just kind of, just another kind of candy crust sort of game that you can play on your phone. And potentially, you know, we've been talking about the power of Netflix having all this IP content behind them. They do have games which are associated with Narcos, Stranger Things, the IP that they already have. And I just think, you know, we, we, we're we talking about future of gaming, future of entertainment and our future of media event in October. Um, I just think that this whole area is getting really interesting where you have... Big TV companies, big studios, actually doing gaming in non-conventional ways through mobile. I think is fascinating. So yeah, immortality is the game. Highly
0: recommend it. Mm. Ella, is it is it Barbie?
1: <laughs> I can't can't call it like say Barbie as, as well. I mean, obviously, I mean it was it was just such a uh, like the script. Everything was was so, and the casting was so good. I was, I'll confess, I was listening to the Barbie album on Spotify coming into the office today. So that's my media recommendation. Of the week. <laughs> it's, you know, Dua is on there, Lizzo's on there, Ryan Gosling's song from the movie's in there. Barbie, and, Barbie Girl by Aqua, sure. Uh, I mean, I'm pr- probably, because there's a Barbie movie album and I haven't, and I don't think Aqua's actually on, because that would be <gasps> the Barbie playlist, which is a different, different
2: thing. The the Barbie movie doesn't feature Barbie
0: Girl from the nineties. Oh my
1: god! (laughs) Missed opportunity. Can't believe it. So yeah, the Barbie album on that's that's my. Was that
0: like your personal? Like I've been listening to the Succession album, Walking to Work. Oh really? Like the soundtrack from because pretend like I'm way cooler. than I Like a sort
1: of like power move, sort of like kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs)
0: Uh, Or when I'm writing and I'm like, all I'm doing is sitting at the at my desk and typing, but. In my head, I'm like making the biggest business deal. See, I, of the I, see, here
1: I am thinking you're editing podcasts and stuff. You're listening to Succession. I know now I've got your
0: secret. <laughs> um, that won't be my media recommendation. But because you mentioned cinema, I'm, I'm, I would recommend, um, you know, lots of people are going to see Oppenheimer, Barbie. I'm looking forward to seeing that. But I did just see Wes Anderson's new film, Asteroid City. Um, wasn't my favorite of his films, but it is absolutely gorgeous. So if you're a fan of cinematography and pastel colors... Would recommend going to the cinema to see that as well. You know, there's is, lots of other movies out too. Is Owen Wilson in it? You know, Owen Wilson is not in that one. He's not in a Wes Anderson movie. I don't think so. And Bill Murray isn't either, even though he had a character written for him. But um, there, I think there was some some issue with it. He got COVID, actually, and couldn't then show up because it was a very minor role. And then they ended up giving it to Steve Carell um, oh. because there was a bit of a, a recovery period. Um, and Bill Murray's in, like, there's a short that they filmed separately that they gave a, a new character for. So
1: um, why wasn't uh, it your favorite Wes Anderson
0: uh i just didn't like the story as much um i think he's gotten very he's gotten very wes anderson (laughs) and i like his older stuff a little bit like a
1: parody of himself at this point
0: no because it's still beautiful and i appreciate the craftsmanship but i think like i love rushmore and royal tenenbaums which are they're very quirky but they have a little bit more of a soul to them if Mm -hmm.
1: that look that makes substance kind of thing yeah, that something that's leveled at Wes Anderson is its style over substance?
0: It, a little bit, a little bit. I'm no Mark Kermode, but <laughs> I would recommend the movie uh, if you're interested, if you're a fan. Um, I, th- I think it's important to remember there's other f- films out that are not Bob, Barbie and Oppenheimer. So, yes, yes.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Go to the cinema and see them, or I guess wait. until they come out whatever you do and get food delivered to you from your family instead of it makes it sound like like my sister's
1: my slave or something that's not the case
0: Um. (laughs) (laughs) we'll delve into that next week (laughs) that's all we have time for thank you both so much for joining me this was super fun thank you thank you Thank you for listening to The Media
2: Leader podcast. You can find and listen to all our episodes on our website at themedialeader.co.uk or wherever you get your podcasts. But just remember, please do subscribe to be notified when we release our next episode. From all of us at The Media Leader, I'm editor Omar Oaks. Our executive producer is Jack Benjamin. See you next time.